I'm curious, do you have a really great BS detector? You're, maybe you're often skeptical of others. Are you really street smart? Would you say you're pretty self-assured? You often find yourself being the leader in the group. Maybe you even struggle to ask for help. Do you love a good challenge? Do you fight really hard for the causes you believe in? Do you have a great sense of humor? I bet you're a blast. You might have thought that these were all parts of your personality, but they might actually be coping mechanisms you've picked up over the course of your life, and they're having a huge impact on how you show up, especially on this motherhood journey. Are you curious to know more? You got to take my personality patterns quiz. Here's what's going on. When you were a child, whenever an experience overwhelmed your nervous system, you subconsciously built a defense against that overwhelm. Over time, those defenses became a habit and then they became a pattern. And now as an adult, what we think of as our personality is often this defense pattern running the show. It's so interesting, right? There are five different personality patterns and they're not personality types like the Enneagram or the Myers-Briggs but rather they describe the safety strategies that we immediately go to when we start to feel overwhelmed. They don't describe who we are so much as what's blocking who we are. The good news is that once you take my quiz and learn about your pattern, you can learn skills to break out of that pattern, and then you can live and parent your kids as your true and authentic self. Click on the quiz link in the show notes or go to michellegrosser.com forward slash quiz now to take my two-minute personality pattern quiz. I think as much as you can bring into your children like an education of what they're experiencing so they don't feel so alone. Like I've been saying to my daughter recently, like, wow, you really notice things that other people don't. Mm. Or you really feel things so deeply. Or you're such a good friend to other people in the way that you care for them and think about them. And sometimes your feelings are going to get hurt because people are not the same way. Mm. So like, you know, kind of what I wished happened for me of like, hey, this is a really cool thing. Let's talk about how we can help ourselves and how it's not, it's not a bad thing. It's a gift. Welcome to the Calm Mom podcast, the show for ambitious women ready to get off the hot mess express. I know you've got a lot going on. You work so hard. You're raising an incredible family and sometimes it can be overwhelming. I'm your host, Michelle Grosser. I'm a certified master life coach, attorney, wife, and mom. And years ago, I was right where you are. I was running a busy law practice while raising a family, and I was on the fast track to burnout. I thought I just needed to be more organized or have better routines, but it was learning how to heal and regulate my nervous system that expanded my capacity to gracefully hold more of this big, beautiful life. You too are worthy of an extraordinary life in and beyond motherhood. Learning to be a calm, anchoring presence in your home and at work is going to be your superpower. If you're here to do the inner work that brings a sense of calm amidst the chaos, I'm here to join you on that journey. Each time you press play, your growth continues. So let's get at it. Hey friend, Michelle Grosser here, your master coach. Welcome to the Calm Mom Podcast. Today on the podcast, man, I'm so excited for this conversation. On the show today, we have Dr. Kate Kaplan. She's a licensed psychologist. She has a practice in Los Angeles. And the focus of her practice and really her passion and her mission is helping 
women live with more self-compassion and mindfulness, awareness, grounding. She just has has a really um, keen interest in helping moms, helping people who are highly sensitive thrive with all that we're holding and carrying and the pace of our lives. Um, so she really specializes in anxiety and depression, phases of life, transitions, family dynamics. Um, she has advanced training in self-compassion. You guys know how much I love talking about extending compassion to ourselves, uh, mindfulness, perinatal health, and really working with highly sensitive people. So we have a really interesting conversation around how it is to operate as a highly sensitive person in motherhood. And then things to keep in mind if you find that you might be raising a highly sensitive child. So this conversation is so good. I hope it blesses you today. Enjoy. Hi, my name is Dr. Kate Kaplan. I have my doctorate in clinical psychology and I am a licensed psychologist practicing in Los Angeles. Right now I have a small private practice, mostly telehealth, specializing in young adults and women across the lifespan. So I've become more interested, obviously, since I became a mom and working with moms and have obtained training over the years for helping moms. But I'm really passionate about just helping women at all phases of life. Yeah, that's beautiful. I love that. So we are going to talk mental health, I think maternal mental health today, we're going to talk about some of the goals that I think moms are facing and maybe some ideas or insight we can offer them. I want to kind of start out with just the idea of mindfulness in motherhood. I think sometimes mm-hmm. this is so fast that we wow. really don't even really have time to, I don't know, just sit or process or be with anything. And I just wonder kind of how you see that come up and then just the connection, your experience between the power that lies in the mindfulness, especially in motherhood. Yeah. So I think Mindfulness can be a hot topic, and I think there's a lot of assumptions about what mindfulness is. Okay. So I think sometimes we think mindfulness is like sitting and meditating for 30 minutes. Right. Or I don't know, like uh, making sure you're meditating 10 minutes a day. And it's just, I don't think that's so realistic when you're a mom. And then I think it piles onto that mom guilt feeling like, oh, I should be doing one more thing. Right. I have to be more mindful. Another thing on my to-do list. Yes. And so I do have a background in mindfulness and self-compassion training. And I, on my Instagram page, at least, I've been focusing a lot on one minute meditations. So what happens when we get overwhelmed is that our nervous system gets activated, specifically what's called our sympathetic nervous system. So when we do things like breathing and specifically like diaphragmatic breathing, which is breathing deeply from the diaphragm, it calms our nervous system down. It activates what's called our parasympathetic nervous system. So really, you just need a minute. Mm-hmm. You just need a minute of three to five deep breaths. And you're not going to get that every single time you're overwhelmed. But the idea is that if you can do that type of deep breathing, when you're not feeling stressed, your body's more apt to getting into that mode when you are overwhelmed. Yeah. So that's the breathing piece. But then we also can approach mindfulness from how we think about our thoughts. Mm. And that's like, that doesn't take time. Yeah. So moms have, you know, everyone can have like seven to 10,000 thoughts a day. I'm serious. But moms in particular can have like 20,000 thoughts, I feel like. It feels like that. I'm like, and I feel so validating. <laughs> yes, it feels like that. So mindfulness is really bringing awareness. It's bringing awareness to your thoughts. It can be bringing awareness to your senses. So it, it can be 
you know, noticing the thoughts that you're having. Let's say you're like spiraling into a place of like shame and guilt, which I think moms are really apt to do. And you find yourself thinking, okay, there, there are those shame and thought feelings again. And it's sort of like noticing the feelings, noticing the sensations you're having without becoming emotionally attached to them. That is actually mindfulness. Mm. So I don't know if that is helpful or interesting, but it's, it's, I think we have to restructure how we think of mindfulness. Yeah. That we can approach it with how we think of our thoughts or then there's a whole other camp where it's like, you can be mindful while you're washing dishes, right? We all wash dishes. Maybe you have like five minutes where you're sitting and you just allow your mind to sort of wander and see what happens. Or you allow yourself to do like three to five deep breaths while you're doing that. So it's also the idea of like bringing moments of awareness and presence Mm -hmm. to whatever you're doing. Yeah. And I love what you said about just noticing our emotions in a detached (laughs) sense, right? With bringing the judgment to it. And I wonder if you could speak on that a little bit, because I Mm -hmm. oftentimes we just have been running a pattern forever that as soon as an emotion comes up, we have a judgment associated with it. I think especially with the things like anger or sadness, maybe, and then we're not able, able or allowing ourselves to really release it or feel it. How does that impact us? Or what are your thoughts? Totally. So like the way I think about it is that we all have old narratives and old stories mm-hmm. and it's all attached to something. Mm. So the like, there, again, there's two camps. Sometimes we have random thoughts and feelings that come up and are not attached to anything. And other times we have these old narratives that are coming up. I'm not good. At, I should have done better. Whatever types of self-critical thoughts pop up. Mm-hmm. And I think it's about recognizing where are these thoughts and feelings coming from, mm-hmm. understanding that first, having an awareness. And it is sort of this very idea of like not becoming too attached to them. So I know that I have these thoughts. I'm aware of where they're coming from. Most often it's like an inherited self-critical voice. Mm-hmm. I think our moms probably did an amazing job. I love my mom dearly. I think she did an amazing job and each generation we're becoming more and more aware. But, you know, if you look at generation to generation, there is sort of like this line of like self-critical thoughts that just passes down to mothers. And so we sort of then internalize that voice and that becomes the dialogue in our head. And so it's about recognizing, I talk a lot about this, when those thoughts come up, okay, this is an old story. This is an old feeling. It's not what's happening in the present. How can I soothe myself so that I don't become so attached and overwhelmed? Wow. I love that. As it relates to the mom guilt specifically too, I'm sure that is really helpful. What kinds of other things do you have to offer? Maybe an invitation for a little mindset shift or maybe something like practically in the moment that moms can try to do on those moments when that inner critic is really chiming in or the mom guilt is setting in for whatever reason. Yeah, I think self-compassion is huge. The reason I'm attracted to self-compassion is because it's not about like ignoring pain or suffering or negative thoughts, because there are some camps of psychology that are like, let's push away these negative thoughts. Let's pretend they don't exist. And I don't think that's very helpful. Right. So I think it's about so much self-compassion. And that has been part of my motherhood journey and why I have a you know, attached myself to it so much of like talking to yourself in those moments as you would a good friend. Mm. 
I love that. Yeah. Right. So like if I, if a friend was like, God, I feel like such a shitty mom. Right. Mm-hmm. And I've said this to friends, right. They're like, stop it. Like, let's think of all the good things that you're doing. Yes. And so often we don't talk to ourselves that way. We're just not conditioned as women and we're not conditioned as moms. We're always thinking about how we could be doing better. Right. We're not conditioned to being like our own cheerleader. Yeah. Um, but we'll extend that com- compassion so quickly to like our kids or our friends or our partners, right? Like we can, we can extend the compassion. It's just really hard for some reason to turn it inward or it feels uncomfortable or foreign. It is. And that's because we have these brains that are naturally negative leaning from evolutionary, you know, reasons. Our brains are like focused on picking up the negative. So you're not crazy if you feel like, God, why do I, why am I always thinking about like a bad thing that can happen? Or why am I always picking things apart? I think as moms in in particular, that part of our brain is heightened because we're trying to keep everyone around us safe. Yeah, it's just not our natural go to to think in a sort of kind and compassionate way. Mm. And I also think people think, well, if I'm going to be compassionate to myself, then that's just kind of silly, or it makes me weak, or it's not going to motivate me in the ways that I need it to motivate me. But in those moments where you're feeling overwhelmed, how can you talk to yourself as you would a good friend? Mm. And I tell people like, it could simply just be like, God, I'm having a really hard time right now. Or we do this a lot. There's a self-compassion exercise where you engage in something called self-compassionate touch. So one of the touches is placing your hands over your heart. So I do that a lot. So if you placed your hands over your heart, what would you say to yourself that you would say to a good friend? Yeah, I think I would just be so encouraging. And I think oftentimes maybe the critical thoughts that are coming through, I'm not even pausing long enough to really question how true they are. So just allowing myself to sit in that and, and also so much compassion for like, I think every single one of us are always doing the best we can with the resources we have at that point in time, right? Whether it's now or 10 years ago, like we're all doing the best we can with the resources we have and the information we have in the moment. I I tell clients that all the time, because I think we sometimes think we need to be like mind readers or like, yeah. Especially we live in a time where we have so much information at our fingertips that we're like, oh, I should have known X, Y, and Z, or I should know exactly how to handle this. Yep. And you and I have kids that are similar age. So everything I go through with my six-year-old, I have to remind myself, well, this is new. Of course, I don't know exactly how to handle it. I don't have all the information and resources and experience yet. So it okay. is, that's a great self-compassionate statement. I love that. Mm. And then I think just a reminder too, that like no one knows it all. Like there's not a mom on this planet who's got like knows everything to do at every moment, every loving response, every proactive, like has her hand on everything. It just doesn't exist. So no, no. at some moment. Yeah. My own therapist says, I think sometimes we think we need to be this like mother Teresa figure. Mm. And again, this is more of a societal <laughs> issue to unpack, but it, it is true. It's like, no one is, none of us are perfect. We're all doing our best. Every prior generation probably did their best. And, you know, now that we have all this information and more awareness, I think it almost feels like there's more pressure to do better. Yeah, for sure. We're still human. We're human beings. We have weaknesses. We have blind spots. We get angry. You know, it's, you can only do so much. Yes. And then the other thing I try to remind myself too is like my kids 
do not need a perfect mom. Like that was never the recipe for good motherhood. I think even in the moments where I'm tempted to have feel guilty or beat myself up or whatever, I'm actually doing them more of a disservice by spiraling in that direction where I could actually just like own it, apologize, whatever it is, and then be present with them, I think is a new pattern I'm trying to really get into. I love that. Are you familiar? There's a concept called the good enough mother. No, tell me. Okay. So the, it's an old school thought. It comes from, I don't know his first name, but Winnicott. And the idea is that mothers that actually fail their children in small ways. So I'm not talking like egregious failures, not talking about abuse or anything like that, but it's actually good for children to experience Mm. failures because what they learn is that their mom is not perfect. They don't need to be perfect and that life is going to disappoint them and let them down and that's okay. And they learn how to tolerate these tiny failures. So in fact, part of being a mom is allowing for that experience for your children. So the concept is the good enough mother. Are you showing up? Are you trying your best is good enough? And there's a ton of research behind this. And of course, I don't know it at this very second, but or remember it at this very second. But it is okay to be a good enough mother. In fact, you want to you want to be good enough and not perfect. It's better for your kids, like you said. So. I love that. Yeah, it's better for our kids probably for a ton of reasons. And another reason that's kind of dropping in for me too is like, it must give them some, lower the pressure for them, right? To live up yeah. to whatever that perfect standard is that maybe we're, we hold ourselves to sometimes. Yeah, I think prior generations probably shared less of their humanity. And I think moms sort of kept things more to themselves. I think that's just how parenting was. And I think our generation is more like, hey, we're humans, we're messy, we make mistakes. And really modeling that's super important for children so that they do understand like, okay, I can make a mistake. The world's not going to fall apart. My mom will still love me. People will still love me even when I make, you know, mistakes. And so I do think some of that's innate. Like I watch with my oldest daughter. Um, she's more attuned to making mistakes. And whether that's something I've done or not, I don't know. But I think as much as you can model that, it's it's great. It's really, really freeing for them. And it's freeing for them to see a mom that experiences a wide range of emotions. Yeah. And shares it with them in a palpable way, you know, where you're you're exploring and discussing the feelings with, obviously without overwhelming them. Yeah. I had this like stories coming to mind. I had this moment, I don't know, like three weeks ago, maybe, but I brought my kids to school. They had spirit week. Mm-hmm. And I thought one day was like wacky tacky day. So I had dressed them like ridiculously all morning and we were so proud of ourselves. Mm-hmm. And we got to school and I realized everyone else is wearing their uniforms. And <laughs> yeah, my and my kids looked crazy. Like they looked like Oh my God. They probably loved it though. <laughs> They did until they realized that no one else had like, and no one else looked like that. Mm-hmm. But I looked at my email again and it was only wacky sock day. So like I had missed that. Oh. <laughs> and I'm like, here we are. So I asked them like, do you guys want to go in dressed like this? Or do you want to go back home change? And then you'll be late and I'll just bring you back and whatever. Yeah. I wanted to go home. But my little four-year-old in the back, as I'm driving home, I'm like, man, guys, like I, I biffed it. Like, I'm so sorry. I, I did not mm-hmm. read that email. Right. You're going to be late today. It's going to be all right. And she's just like, mom, she's like, everyone make, makes mistakes. Like, I still Aww. love you. I forgive you. Yeah. And I was just like, wow. <laughs> right. And just in that moment too, I'm like, I like what a beautiful perspective 
she has on mistakes already. And like, not that everyone make everyone makes them. Yes. But also like, I think so much good can come from mistakes as we like discover new things and grow in our confidence and our resilience and all of these things is like, well, she, you know, she inherits and hears these things from you. And so, or is watching you model that. So Mm -hmm. it's wonderful. Thank you. Have you ever caught yourself wondering why you do the things you do? Like, why do you get so angry and yell at your kids when they're moving at a snail's pace in the morning? Or why is it so hard to relax when the house is a mess? If so, you've got to take my personality patterns quiz. Because here's what's going on. When you were a child, whenever an experience overwhelmed your nervous system, you subconsciously built a defense against that overwhelm. And over time, those defenses became a habit, and then they became a pattern. And now as an adult, what we think of as our personality is really actually often this defense pattern running the show. It's so interesting, right? There's five different personality patterns, and they're not personality types like the Enneagram or the Myers-Briggs, but rather they describe the safety strategy that you immediately go to when you start to feel overwhelmed. They don't describe who you are, but rather what's actually blocking who you are. And the good news is that once you take the quiz and you learn about your pattern, you can learn skills to break out of that pattern and then live and parent as your true and authentic self. So click on the quiz link in the show notes or go to michellegrosser.com forward slash quiz now to take my two-minute personality patterns quiz. I want to talk a little bit about anxiety Mm -hmm. and I just think particularly in moms, like I think sometimes we do so much preparation for pregnancy and childbirth and all these things. And then we bring home this tiny little human that we don't really know. And there's so many things that we just can't anticipate in motherhood and everything is new and it changes our the dynamic of our relationships. And I just feel like a lot of the, the women that I hear from and work with most of them experience some sort of anxiety. Mm-hmm. And I just wonder within motherhood, are there ways that you see that showing up more than others that maybe women don't even recognize? I think anxiety, I think we have to understand, like I was referencing it earlier, the evolutionary reason behind it. I think that's helpful before I go into how it might present. Okay. And for me to give the caveat that I actually don't think all anxiety is bad. Mm. I think most human beings experience anxiety. Most human beings that are tuned into their experience mm. experience anxiety. We have parts of our brain that are literally built to pick up on negative cues in the environment or to look out for danger. And this all goes back to like evolutionarily, we had you know, lions and tigers chasing us. And we needed this alarm system in our brain to get us activated. Like, hey, you got to run. You got to survive. So if you think about it that way, anxiety really was helping us survive. Mm -hmm. The problem now is that that anxiety is getting triggered when we're not in actual danger, but our body and our mind feels like it is. So the reason I think that's helpful is because when you think of motherhood, it does kind of feel like you're constantly being thrown things your way. And as a mom, you're in mama bear mode and you're, you, you're, you want to survive and you want to keep your kid alive. And so obviously there's going to be anxiety in motherhood. And then also there's a lot of studies about how it changes your brain. And I don't know if it changes your brain as much as it activates parts of your brain that are already there. Mm. So obviously anxiety is going to show up 
as more commonly a lot of anxious thoughts. So sort of feeling like your brain is constantly running and you can't get it to stop. That's the most classic way that I see anxiety present. Okay. Constant worrying, fears, what we call ruminating. So getting stuck in your thoughts. And it's getting in the way of your functioning. So like if it's really getting in the way of your functioning and your ability to show up in your life, that's obviously when it's more of a concern. But then there's other ways that it shows up. And I think this is sort of the trickier part, especially with, with moms, is that I think it can show up in our bodies. Mm-hmm. For it sure. can show up what we call somatically. So um, more commonly, I'll see it even for myself. Stomach aches, GI issues, headaches, chronic pain. These are all sort of the alternative ways that it, it can show up. And irritability. Yes. <laughs> right? So if you think about it, your brain's like on fire, you're anxious, the thoughts are consuming every single part of your being, you're naturally going to be more irritable. You just don't have as much space. Mm. And then it, it also manifests as those self-critical thoughts. Something else I noticed when you were talking about anxiety that I would love for you to expand on a little bit is that when in, in your phraseology, you were saying when, when I'm experiencing anxiety, when people are experiencing mm-hmm anxiety and I think so many times just in the way that we talk in our vocabulary about our emotions and our feelings we say things like I'm anxious or I'm tired or I'm sad or whatever instead of having the experience of those emotions you just teach a little bit about why it seems like semantics but why that might be important totally so there's a branch of therapy or techniques, theories, it's called ACT. So if anyone's interested, they can look it up, but it really goes over this quite well. And it's A-C-T, but it doesn't stand for anything. It's just, wait, it might stand for (laughs) (laughs) Anyhow, it's just uh, mom brain here. It's just the acronym, but it's the idea, again, it does approach mindfulness or it uses mindfulness to approach our thoughts and feelings that we are not our thoughts and feelings. Yes. We are a human being that's experiencing these things. So even before I got on this podcast, I am not a public speaker. And so I had to remind myself, I am feeling anxious. Not that I'm like, oh my God, I'm so anxious. And then I kind of was like, okay, well, it's something new. I'm stepping outside my comfort zone. And I did that self-talk piece. So I think the assumption sometimes is that we are our thoughts and feelings. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, thoughts are not facts. Yes right? Feelings are not facts. They're actually just like visceral, ephemeral, you know, sensations that are passing through our bodies. It's the meaning that we attach to all of this. So I think so act really teaches you how to distance yourself so that you're not becoming so attached to the thought feeling and that label. Mm -hmm. While I think it can be really helpful to be like, I am a person that experiences anxiety. I think sometimes we can get attached to those labels of like, oh, I'm an anxious person. And then we sort of like fall into the label. And then we, we, it's almost like we can't separate ourselves from it. And then it becomes kind of this like self-fulfilling prophecy, right? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I was just about to say that. (laughs) And it's so much like part of the lexicon of our culture at this point, right? Like, oh, I'm so depressed or I'm so anxious or I'm so bipolar or so this. And like, I'd rather replace that with like, I'm a human being that experiences beautiful feelings of anxiety, feelings of depression. And so much of my work is just like helping people understand it's okay to feel depressed or sad or anxious. We all experience that. And obviously at some point it might become 
to the point where it's, it's more than just experiencing it and it's taking over more, but we all experience this as part of the human condition. Yeah, we do. And I think, I think that's so powerful and just our words in general, I think are so, yeah. and that's something as a mom that I'm trying to help my children just be mindful of. Like they'll say things sometimes, like, especially my older one, she's like, I'm starving. And I'll just like, you know, I don't want to be like this mom that's like correcting her all the time, but I'm just like, well, let's, talk, let's talk about that for a minute because yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, right. And I'm sure like it can start like that, but with all of the things that we say about ourselves, about our kids, yeah. there's so much power in our words. So much. And I wouldn't have even noticed that word shift that I use. And so thank you for pointing that out to me. It's so, it's become so ingrained in how I think. So beautiful. It's the work that you do. Yeah. 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 I want to talk a little bit too about, I know you do some work with highly sensitive people. Mm -hmm. And that is a term that I've heard. I'm not sure if I even really understand what it means. So maybe you could teach us a little bit about that and kind of maybe how it might show up. And us, like if we're like listening, we're like, oh, maybe that's me or even in our children. I'm, I'm assuming it also shows up in, in kids. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So highly sensitive people, HSP, highly sensitive children, HSC, just in case I use those. So high sensitivity shows up in 15 to 20 percent of the population. Oh, okay. And it is not. So there's a lot of us. I'm a highly sensitive person raising a highly sensitive child. Mm. There is some controversy around the terms, but I'm going to step away from that and just get into sort of what it is. I think some people think that high sensitivity means being really shy, introverted. Those can certainly be parts of it. I happen to have a highly sensitive child that's very extroverted, so they're not mutually exclusive. High sensitivity has to do with how you process things and how your brain processes things and your sensitivity to stimuli. I think that's the part that's often missed is people just assume it's being really sensitive. Mm. So high sensitivity looks at four different domains. I can go over those. Yeah, this is fascinating. I want to hear more. So the first one is depth of processing. So the highly sensitive brain is processing things at like Let's say like our normal brain, which is a beautiful brain, is processing three to five things at a time. The highly sensitive brain is processing things like 10 things at a time from 10 different angles. It's just how that particular brain is built. So that lends itself to like really deep thinkers, deep feelers, Mm -hmm. but also people that might get stuck in indecision, right? Because if you're like, approaching things from so many different angles, it can be hard to be decisive. It can also contribute to just overwhelm. So if you think about it, like, I think the metaphor was like, if you're on a conveyor belt, and the highly sensitive brain has like, five oranges coming down, it's sorting them, it's doing great. And then all of a sudden, like 10 more oranges come down. And we have to like sort it in a very particular way. It's very easy to get overwhelmed, because the brain is cataloging things at such a deep level. The other one is over, let me remind myself, over arousability. Mm. So again, and there's tons of research. So if anyone's interested, Dr. Elaine Aaron, you can always go to her website, you could take a test, and she's been doing research on this for a very long time. Mm. The over arousability, so the highly sensitive brain is just very finely tuned. And so it picks up on things in the environment, stimuli, 
that maybe sort of the average brain wouldn't pick up on. This could definitely lead to a lot of anxiety. And so again, when we were talking about anxiety earlier, it's always good to sort of get under the belly of anxiety and see what might be contributing to it. Sometimes high sensitivity can be part of it. And it's because a mom is over aroused or overstimulated and her nervous system and her brain is needing a break. And that contributes to that over arousability. And then the next piece is emotional intensity. So again, with that depth of processing comes really intense emotions, like really, really heightened emotions. And then lastly is the sensory sensitivity. So being very sensitive to pain, sounds, light, smells. My daughter will notice a slight change in affect. So like if I'm like, I said something and she's like, why did you say it that way? Were you angry? And she's right. She actually was great. I was like, oh my God, she picked he picked up on it. Or like, I remember I have this memory of myself going to my own therapist's office. And I remember noticing that she changed something on the wall that was so slight. Wow. And she's like, oh, no one's noticed that. And I was like, really? It's like glaring to me. So the acronym is DOES. <laughs> and again, you can go to Dr. Aaron's website and she, A-R-O-N, and she has a ton more information on it. So again, it's like, it's the degree to which you're processing and how you respond to stimuli, it has nothing to do. You can have a highly sensitive person that's very extroverted and social, or you can have a highly sensitive person that's very introverted and, you know, wants to be at home and not around as much stimuli. Mm. That fourth one that you were talking about, mm-hmm. show up. I'm just thinking of my oldest daughter because she can be very, very particular about like her clothing like how her socks fit like I have to get particular socks for her her shoes is that is that also it can be and so this is where the the term is a little tricky because I think there's different camps again I personally think of sensitivity like my daughter's similar when she gets out of the shower like her sensitivity to cold is beyond like she's screaming yeah. <laughs> and it's the same socks, seams. If her hands feel clammy, she'll like lose it. Like she can't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think kids are naturally more sensory seeking anyhow. Okay. Well, you know, so it could be various things, sure. but I do think it can be part of high sensitivity, but you also have to have those other components for it to really be like a highly sensitive child. But yeah, sensitivity to the way fabrics feel is, is definitely one of them. Interesting. So for moms listening who either know they have a highly sensitive child or think they may what are some ways we can better serve and just love them like is it just extending more compassion and understanding like what are just some ways that we can be better for them well I think if you are highly sensitive as a mom I think it's embracing that sort of as a superpower cool yeah it does sound a lot like a superpower I think it can be overwhelming at times but I think recognizing like what are the strengths here what am I bringing to the table and and highly sensitive moms are very empathic they're very attuned yeah um and they're very aware they're still human so you know I'm still human I still make mistakes and I get overwhelmed and that's something that I'm working on currently in my motherhood journey in terms of highly sensitive children I think it's about instilling that same sense in them I don't know I grew up thinking that there wasn't as much awareness around it. And I just remember feeling very sensitive, sensitive to other people's thoughts and feelings, and crying a lot. I think as much as you can bring into your children, like an education of what they're experiencing so they don't feel so alone. Love that. 
Like I've been saying to my daughter recently, like, wow, you really notice things that other people don't. Mm. Or you really feel things so deeply or you're such a good friend to other people in the way that you care for them and think about them. And sometimes your feelings are going to get hurt because people are not the same way. Mm. So like, you know, kind of what I wished happened for me of like, hey, this is a really cool thing. Let's talk about, you know, how we can help ourselves and how it's not like, you know, it's not a bad thing. It's a gift. And then the other piece is really understanding what helps them calm their little bodies and minds down. I'm still working on that mm. <laughs> with my own with my own daughter. Sometimes this idea of co-regulation. So like if she sits on my lap and she's having a big meltdown, I literally just put my hands around her and I rock her back and forth. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that works. It helps her feel safe um, and helps her feel soothed. Yeah. And other times it's about, you know, giving her space. And so I think it's trial and error. I don't think there is one right way. Yeah, but I love I love all of that. And I particularly love you just pointing out the gifts that come with it for her and kind of mm -hmm. helping her to see and embrace it. Beautiful. Yeah, it's really a mission for me because I just don't want I don't want people growing up that are sensitive or highly sensitive to feel alone. I think we need people like that in the world especially now we need yeah. people that are really tuned in and that feel things deeply it's such a gift yeah. it is amen i love that this has been so so good i feel your presence is very calming and soothing yeah. I like i feel like i also i don't know if it was anxiety i was feeling this morning but i just felt a little off all day and i yeah. actually out right before this interview because i'm like okay i'm gonna try to like get some of this yeah. energy but I feel so good right now. Good. So I just, this is great. Oh, so for people you. listening who just really resonate with you and want to hear more and know more and just spend some more time with you, where can they find you? I do have a website. It is drkatekaplan.com. It desperately needs to be redone. So please do not judge me. <laughs> Don't they all? But more frequently these days on my Instagram, same handle, Dr. Kate Kaplan, D-R-K-A-T-E-K-A-P-L-A-N. And I share a lot of the exercises there. So I have a whole, um, you know, part dedicated to one minute meditations, a lot of self-compassion exercises. And then I also want to give a little plug for if people are interested in learning more about self-compassion. To look up the work of Kristen Neff, N-E-F-F. -F. If you go to her website, she has a ton of guided exercises mm -hmm. for self-compassion. And my computer right now is being lifted by one of her books. <laughs> That's awesome. I've never yeah. been to her website and I don't have her book either. I'm going to check it out. But I do follow her on Instagram and I yeah. do love her work. I'm all about the self-compassion too. Yeah. Do some of the, the self-compassion check-in is one I do frequently. I love it. Okay. Thank you for that. Awesome. Yeah, my pleasure. Well, thank you for your time today. This has been so good. Really appreciate the work that you're doing and just taking some time to pour into all of us today. Thank you for having me. This was wonderful. If you love mommy's polygraph, leave a review. If you enjoyed this episode, it would be so awesome if you could take a moment to subscribe and rate the podcast. And if you have just a few more seconds to leave a quick review, they really help to get this podcast out to other moms like you. I read every last review and trust me, when it's late at night or early in the morning before my kids get up and I'm working on bringing you all of this content, 
Your reviews are what keep me going. Leaving a review is truly the best way you can thank me. And of course, DM me on Instagram. I love to hear from you. Thanks for listening to another episode. Head over to the show notes for this episode and all past episodes at michellegrosser.com where you'll find free resources and more ways to connect with me. If you love the show, share it with a friend. Thanks again for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Oh,